Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's crack-a-lackin'? This is the unanimous decision with the voice in your ears, Adam Kaplan. And I'm with two of the main homies, Terry Tam from Hot Sauce Sports and Andrew Michael from Beyond the Fight Podcast. How we doing, fellas? Freaking awesome on a Friday night, TGIF. Love recording on a Friday night, actually. It's pretty fun. Friday nights, uh, recording Friday nights, late Friday nights when your girlfriend's right next to you, it's, uh, you know, it's fun. <laughs> but she ordered me a poutine, so it's good. We're good. We're safe. That's she's a win. A, she's a yeah, keeper. Yeah, exactly. She's a keeper. So, Andy, why don't, you, uh, why don't you lead us off for explaining to us what this podcast is going to be about in the UFC's middleweight division? Yes, of course. So this is something that's been really on my mind for a while. I've been talking to you about it, Adam, off the record. And you know, we have a big middleweight fight this weekend, next week. Tomorrow night, it's Robert Whitaker versus Darren Hill. Next week, it's, uh, it's up-and-coming prospect Edmund, the golden boy Shabazian, versus Derek, uh, Derek, the, Derek the One Brunson, a.k.a. the gatekeeper of middleweight. And middleweight, <laughs> yeah, and middleweight is basically right now, I think, one of the most wide-open divisions. It's had a very interesting history. As some, it's, it's, as it's very divided, where some say it's, it's had some, among some of the best fights, or some have said it's had some of the most lopsided like boring fight it's a it's what it's it's basically nicknamed this uh, before the flyweight division middleweight was kind of the redheaded stepchild of the ufc since zufa bought the promotion well you're gonna offend adam you know he's a redhead hold he's on now step. you offended me even more i'm only a redhead on the beard not the hair <laughs> <laughs> relax with that so, shit yeah <laughs> Yeah. So as, as I was saying, yeah, so now I'm off topic here, but no, but just to summarize, uh, Zufa's had a lot of issues with their middleweight division. In 2001, the, they wanted Nate Marquardt, who was fighting in a local promotion, to be the guy they built the, the middleweight around. Problem was, he got upset in his regional uh, championship uh, fight versus Jill Castillo, if I'm not mistaken. And after that, Zufa was kind of like, the Fertitas and, uh, and Dana kind of had like, a standoffish approach with their middleweight champions with Castillo. Then there was Dave Manet. And then after that, you, when Rich Franklin came in, it gave some new life. This was a guy they could build around former math teacher, good guy, not like some, some redneck that uh, does that does cage fighting for life. So Rich Franklin gave some life to the middleweight division. And then came Anderson, the spider Silva, who any, everyone had been awaiting for. He was at the time, the best fighter to have not fought in the UFC that everyone was waiting for. Watch his fights versus Lee Murray. Watch his fights versus Jorge Rivera. Anderson came in and basically Chris Lieben welcomed Anderson by getting knocked out by, by pinpoint punches and kicks in, at the end of June of 2006. And then mark, that marked the beginning of the Spider era where Anderson dominated for about seven years. It's like 1,600 days. He had some very good performances, but it could also be argued he had some very flat performances that left people wondering why the hell did I spend $65 to buy a pay-per-view to watch Anderson just fight very, very like mellow. He didn't bring his like creativity that everyone speaks of. And then we had in the era of Chris Weidman, which uh, we can get into as well, which is something Adam, I want Adam to talk about okay, in his good. words. Good. Yeah. Okay, great. So that, that, that is, you know, the good thing about you bringing up a lot of those previous guys is it does paint the picture. The funny thing is, is that not many of those guys that we had mentioned is going, are going to be on that top 10 list except no. for Anderson Silva. But yeah. I mean, Rich Franklin, I mean, he's a guy that I forgot about. He's on our honorable mention list. He's, yeah, cer he he's certainly on it with uh, Timothy Kennedy. 
and yeah. he's also on and and I believe we have Souza on our on our honorable mention and um yeah so anyways man let's get right into it uh number 1 we have Anderson the Spider Silva which is certainly no surprise I mean obviously we are disappointed with perhaps what we've been getting since the Chris Weidman losses but ultimately you know Anderson the Spider Silva leading up to 2013 was a dominant force in the division. And he, he was. was somebody that we tuned into every time to either see win emphatically or to have the streak actually uh, be broken a la like a Floyd Mayweather. Almost. The only thing with Anderson Silva is that to Andy's point is where we saw him fight guys like Dallas Latis or any, basically any Brazilian. Anytime Anderson Silva fought a Brazilian, he kind of took the night off and he, able, he was able to just win a shitty decision. And that's what people stopped, stopped liking him is that he wasn't, he only fought when he kind of felt like fighting, which is like, this guy can literally destroy everybody in his path and he's not doing it because he's giving people breaks. When he was, he was supposed to fight, when he fought Yushin Okami, I was like, Yushin Okami has the recipe to beat the guy. And it was such a boring fight. I was like, okay, this is just is what Anderson Silva was going to do. But then we saw him. Dist- I, I was actually going to get mad at you, Andy. I thought you were going to glance over the Chris Lieben era. Because Chris Lieben, to me, the ultimate gatekeeper in any division. I love that guy. The best. Chris and Lieben was the man. Chris, Chris Lieben was a big proponent on one of the first ultimate fighters. And you know what? In the beginning eras of... Uh, MMA, if you were to think of what the perfect description of an MMA fighter would look like, if you're not telling me it would be Chris Lieben, you're out of your fucking mind. The painted toenails, the colored hair, the tattoos, the The the, raspy voice. Yeah, yeah. The the alcohol abuse. You know, I mean, it was that's what that's what Chris Lieben represented. That's what Chris Lieber represented, and he was and he was a legend in the game at that point, you know. So when Addison Silva came in, and you, I always remember this when Joe Rogan was doing the commentary. I'm like, why is he so excited over this guy? Like I had never heard of him, you know what I mean? And I had known who Chris Lieber was because of the Ultimate Fighter, and we saw what Chris Lieber was able to do, and he was a good fighter. And I was like, and Joe Rogan's like so excited about Anderson Silva, and and then we saw what you know the guy was simply for years levels above everybody around him. And freak accident made him lose his momentum. Yes, that that is definitely something that I would agree with is the freak accident did lose his momentum. Um, You know, but we still need to leave Anderson Silva at number one, even though, you know, I was talking about it earlier with Andy on the phone. It's pretty crazy to think that the last seven years that the spider has given us has been pretty lackluster versus what he was doing prior to 2013. Well, who has he fought? Who's, who, who's been his last fights? He fought... He's fought Israel Adesanya. I believe okay. he's fought Derek Brunson. Did he Nick fight? Nick Diaz. He Nick fought Diaz. Nick Diaz. He fought uh, Michael Derek, Bisping. Didn't he fight DC? Yeah. He I'm fought sure DC. Michael Bisping. UFC 200, Michael Bisping. I mean, so he's fought, like, big names, but we weren't really... What is he? Probably 500 in those, in those fights. So, yeah. I don't know what he's... He's basically a, a prize fighter now. You know, he's a super fight guy. Absolutely. Andy, why don't you break down number two for us? Because he is your uh, pound for pound favorite fighter. You love this guy. You don't stop talking about him. And I almost shunned you for almost putting him number one on the list. And then I went back and looked at his resume. And then I had to apologize to you. Why don't you tell us who that is, Andy? Yeah, that's Gegard, the Dreamcatcher Musasi. You know, the best fighter you probably have never heard of. And it's a shame that the, that the casual 
never really uh, heard of this guy until unless he was fighting on like maybe a big card. He he's basically number two on my list for a multitude of reasons. Forty six and five. That's an unheard of record in MMA. And you look at his resume. He's fought some of the best of the best. He fought he fought in Risen. He fought in Dream. He won the Strike Force light heavyweight title. And he's also, and then he went to Bellator after not getting the, the treatment he wanted in the UFC. And he was one title shot away from getting that title shot. Gegard is basically the best middleweight after Anderson because of the style he brings. His resume includes victories over Vitor Belfort, Chris Weidman. Uh, Chris Weidman. He had a freak loss against Uriah Hall, but basically erased that with a dominating performance. He's not really... A talkative guy when you hear him on the mic unless he's really pissed off one he's actually off he's awful on the mic probably one of the yeah. worst people i've ever heard so i i i again i disagreed with andy on this he had a couple of great performances on the uh on the beyond the fight podcast on the uh on the mma hour rather he had some really great performances and uh you know one of the cool things also about musassi is that once he went to bellator Dude, the recognition he got for eliminating fucking Rory McDonald, dude, like his stock went up for a little bit. And that was a really big burn on uh, on Rory McDonald. So, you know, Musasi is is definitely through and through one of those uh, most underrated fighters. And I actually think that he was really entertaining on the mic. But I think it was just cool to watch him in the octagon standing there like a like a like a sloth. I, have, I do <laughs> like want to add song. something to that, actually, that, that Rory fight. So I have some, like, some close, uh, some, some, some friends of mine that, that, know the, that know Rory. They didn't want him to take that fight. And, when he, had his, and he had his wedding before that fight, and, and the coaches were like, it's not a good decision against a guy like Musasi. You're really taking a big gamble on your, on your legacy here when you fight a guy like that, like with, with those kinds of uh, – external activities going on absolutely external external activities to say the least i mean with with musashi i feel like going to bellator for him was was probably not the best decision for his legacy uh he chased the money the ufc didn't feel like he was worth the money that he was getting at bellator which is good for him i mean he's gonna he just he's a fighter right he just wants to make as much money as possible and uh, that fight against Rory, man, was, was a great fight for me. It really showed to me that he's at a different level. Yeah, like, I mean, he didn't do well against Lovato, but, you know, no. the thing with Gegard is, like, the thing with Gegard is he's his own worst enemy. It's what Gegard is going to show up to fight. And we had that happen versus Uriah Hall the first time. And Gegard shows us that when he's motivated, when he wakes up to want to fight, even with the sloth-like attitude, he's dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous judo. Got, he's got that great Dutch kickboxing in there. And I just feel whenever that super fight happens with Douglas Lima, I really want to see what he's going to do motivated because I think he wants to win that belt, then fight Ryan Bader at light heavyweight, and then retire. I think that is his goal. At light heavyweight? Yeah. I think he actually gets murdered by Bader at light heavyweight. If we saw what he, could, what he couldn't do on the ground against Lovato, Bader would probably just hold him down forever. I mean, we could talk about that hypothetical forever. But I, I, that's where Gegard is kind of where he kind of loses me. And I do see the, the aspect of why he's your favorite fighter of all time because he's such a fucking good fighter. 
You know what I mean? It's not, it's not that he's not a good fighter. He's a great fighter. He's one of the best. 46-5 and five is nothing to laugh at, for sure. I just don't think that he had that. He didn't have the itch that a lot of championship level fighters do. You know? Yeah, he starts Vitor though. I mean, that's one thing. Like you watch his fight versus Vitor, he had he fucked up Vitor, like <laughs> just fucked him up with the capital F, like in like one round. And and you know he's he's had some good fights. And yeah, it's it's too. You are right, Terry. Like it's too bad that he kind of it's kind of like the timing of everything in his career. Yeah. But the record speaks for itself. You know it what, does. though? That, that brings up a good point, though. I always had a soft spot for Musasi because I, I almost related him to a bit of an ovaryum, just in the sense that he had they had both such highly successful careers um, on the international scene in Japan and elsewhere around the world that, like, dude, it's crazy that the fact that they're careers almost get a little bit discredited once it comes into the more North American market. So... You know, that's why I've always had a soft spot for Musasi is not always really what he did in the UFC and Bellator, but also what he did before that in the prior years, because like one of the other guys we're going to mention on this list later uh, in uh, in Dan Henderson, you know, these are the type of legends that that belong on the list. So let's go into number three now. who do we got, baby? I, I, I'm I pretty sure that we all agreed on Vitor Belfort at number three. We did, yeah. I love Vitor Belfort. I think, to me, he's probably one of the main reasons why I started watching fighting. He has to be one of the main reasons why anybody started watching fighting. The fact that he could come in and call himself Gracie, Vitor Gracie, and not even be a Gracie, to me, is legendary status automatically. You know what I mean? And, uh, and he came in at, what, he was 19, 20 years old, killing people, full of roids. I loved it. I love that whole what he brought to the table, man, the guy looked like he was built like a brick shit house, you know? And, and he was, he was different to watch and he fought at every weight class. You know what I mean? He fought up, he fought down, he lost to the big boys. He beat the smaller guys, but at middleweight, he dominated for years and years and years. And I, I can't see, I mean, later on we saw uh TRT Vitor, well, non TRT Vitor, what happened to him. And, it was just unfortunate because losing to, you know, Mashida, losing to Musasi, you know, and these were, these were big name fights for him. Getting, almost beating John Jones, breaking John Jones' arm. Yes, that's, that I think is one of the most pivotal moments in Vitor's career. And, and I think UFC 152 on September 22nd, 2012 is one of the most pivotal fights in mixed martial arts history because you had the past, then versus the present. And Vitor was the John Jones of the 90s. He came in when most people only had one style of martial art. Yeah. Like you could be like, my name's Terry Tam, my style is karate. And then you have Vitor Belfort saying, my name is Vitor Belfort and my style is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and boxing. And he just went in there and just took everyone apart. He would come out fucking fist blazing and then end up on the ground somehow and rip your neck off, you know? And that's, that's what he was doing. He called his nickname, his name was Vitor Gracie when he first came in. Yeah, he, people thought he, he was. Saw, a, he saw Carlson as his father. I think that's the story. Yeah, yeah. He, people thought he was because Carlson was in his corner, so people thought he was a greasy. And one of the most impressive things about it is, is in in that young career, how he was able to beat the shit out of Vanderlei Silva. I mean, if you look at the career that Vanderlei Silva had over in Pride after, and then in the UFC, in terms of the opponents that he's beaten. Uh, to think that Vitor Belfort was able to do that to Vanderlei Silva when he was probably at a young and primed age is absolutely unreal. Uh, yeah, there is a taint on Vitor's career due to the fact of the TRT, but nonetheless, 
I mean, okay. you know, nonetheless, you look at a guy like Dan Henderson, Dan Henderson wouldn't have survived in the UFC without TRT either. And I don't think that many people uh, get down on Henderson because of that. A, because I think that, you know, the North American fans look at him as an American hero, quote unquote. But another thing also is, is that he wasn't turning around and fucking busting out spinning back kicks. I mean, the, wor- the best and worst damage that he did in the UFC was to Michael Bisping. It's very true. I mean, so, we haven't, we didn't really see Henderson really. He wasn't a KO machine. He was a grinder. You know, he was like a, he was the what's what's a, DC's nickname, the King of Grind or yep, Grind Kings. He that was Henderson before DC was. You know, and that's what that was his type of fight. And and for Vitor, we'll we'll st- we'll stick to Vitor. Is that he's he was a different fighter than what we normally saw. Like you said, Andy, he wasn't that one style. He came out, he was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, but he would knock the f- people out. And I'm never going to hate on anybody for doing TRT because 90% of the roster was on TRT back then. Yeah. It's just that some people got caught, some people didn't. That's what it was. Just like in football, everybody's on juice. But some people get caught, some people don't. You know, And it's just, it's, it is what it is. And the thing about Vitor, too, what I like, he's one of the very few Brazilians that can speak fluent English. He doesn't need an interpreter. You know, yeah. Like, and, you know, you know, like, shout out to, uh, to like, Sandro Ferrante, who's been on the show, like, who uh, coached uh, – who coached V and he said like Vitor is like the nicest guy you could you could ever imagine he said he said like he's so genuine he's like you have to get to know him off the camera like in, that's what I think he gets a bit of a bad rap for to not being a media guy but I understand him because you know the media really dra- drags his name through the mud with the whole TRT thing I don't see what the big problem was I think we should celebrate the fact that he was able to get away with it for years <laughs> you know what I mean? Everyone was on juice then. Everybody's on steroids. But TRT isn't pure. TRT, All you exactly. motherfuckers are on steroids. steroids. TRT isn't even steroids, though. No, that's, that's, a, the, thing. that's the thing. No, TRT exactly. is prescribed by the doctor. It's yeah. completely legal. It was Nate Marquardt was on it. USADA, VADA, WADA approved, whatever it was. Nate, Nate Marquardt was on it. Uh, Dan Henderson was on it. Countless fighters were on it. One thing that I want to circle back to before we get to number uh, before we four. get to number four, why don't you guys just quickly tell me who your favorite fights were with Anderson Silva, with Gegard Mousasi, and with Vitor Belfort? All started off Anderson Silva versus Forrest Griffin. Uh, Gegard Mousasi, I would have to say my favorite performance with him has to be Ah, fuck. I can't really pick it off the top of my head. Honestly, I'm very impressed with what he's been doing so far in Bellator. So I'm going to have to, I'm actually really happy with what happened with the Rory McDonald fight. I'm a huge Rory fan, but I was impressed by that. And the last thing with Vitor Belfort, uh, who can't, who can't deny that spinning heel kick to fucking Luke Rockhold? Exactly. The Luke Rockhold. I think I'm going to say that too for, for me. Vito was Luke Rockhold. Uh, up there too with the anticipation to the fight. Uh, well, I was, a lot, I was very young back then, but when I, when I rewatched it, it was the, was the Vanderlei Silva fight. And I think that to me, when you see these two monster uh, Brazilian guys going at each other, you know, it's, it's something impressive. Uh, for Gegard, it, I think it has to be Rory's fight for me. I think the fight that he the fact that he was able to beat Rory and we're from Montreal. So we know how good Rory is. He was able to destroy, well, destroy him. He really beat him. You know what I mean? And that's the, that's the part to me. I was like, okay, Gegard's the legit fighter. I never really gave him the respect he deserved. And who was the other fight? Was it? Um, no, we had the three fighters. So I, did I say Vitor's fight? Yeah. Vitor was against Luke Rockhold. Who else do we have? The second one was uh, Musa oh, Silva and Vitor. Yeah, Silva. And, and Silva. So Silva's fight, his, my favorite fight is Silva's. So it had to have been um, 
Nick Diaz. I think that was my favorite fight for Silva because it was the two. I'm I'm happy with that choice too. Yeah, it was the two. It was, okay, it wasn't a decision where, you know, you could have said that Diaz won. I mean, Diaz always thinks he wins, but we all know that Silva won that fight. But to me, the anticipation of that fight and watching it happen and watching Nate Diaz roll on the ground and do his stupidities and Anderson Silva just laughing at him and picking him apart, that was that was the fight for me that I liked. Andy, for Anderson Silva, I'm gonna have to go with uh, the I'm gonna have to go with the with the Forrest Griffin because that was some Matrix like moves he did on Forrest to just KO him back in August of 2009. Vitor Belfort, my favorite victory of his would have to have been the Luke Rockhold head kick. Just the way he, he spin kicked Rockhold into Mars was amazing. Gegard Mustasi, I could say Rory McDonald, but since I've been following Gegard for a very long time, I would have to say the victory I was most impressed with by him was his victory over, was his victory over in, uh, was the tournament he did back in the Dream in 2008 when he went on a run and he KO'd Manhook, Jackery, oh, really? all in the same night. Yeah, and then after that, that, there was a rumor that there was a time where they were trying to get, um, Gegard versus Anderson because uh, there was that's when there was UFC Strike Force Rise and all the other promotions. Yeah. So what would have been like that's what that was my favorite Gegard moment in 2008. A, I, I had no idea he KO'd Manhoof in that tournament. Soccer he soccer kicked the Jacare to the face. <laughs> that, that, Gegard, I, that one I knew. Gegard is a is a fucking legend. And your number three Addy for Vitor. Vitor, as I said, it's gonna be it was the spinning back kick to Luke Rockhold. All right, cool. So after I just took that short detour, let's get to number four. Sorry about that. Uh, to me, man, this has to be, you know, I was looking at the list and I wasn't sure who I was going to put on it. And then in the end, I realized that I really forgot a fucking name. And uh, that's the American hero, Dan Henderson. I'm just going to read out the accolades here. UFC 17 middleweight tournament championship winner in 1998. Uh you know, 2011 fight of the year was Shogun Hua. He won the Pride Middleweight Championship one time, the Pride Welterweight Championship, the 2005 Pride Welterweight Championship Grand Prix winner, uh, Strikeforce Light, he- Light Heavyweight Championship. Fucking, this guy has done it all. Dan Henderson, Mr. H-Bomb with probably the KO of the year of the century of the lifetime against Michael Bisping. And, uh, you know, he's had emphatic performances against Shogun Hua. And, you know, this guy is just a through and through legend. Let's talk about Dan Henderson. So uh, I'm a, always been a huge Dan Henderson fan. I remember the first time somebody said I look like Dan Henderson, I was like, that's an insult. And it was, yeah, it but is, I, it is. I mean, looking like him is an insult. But if you can want to compare, you know, my grappling to him, I mean, the guy was a fucking legend in wrestling and one of the, one of the best KO masters you'll ever see. I mean, the one he KO'd Fedor was one of the craziest things I had ever seen, you know? And sometimes I'll go back and I'll watch all these old pride fights and stuff. And I'll just go back to that one, you know? And it's like, it, Dan Henderson was, he's like the guy. It's like, you, I, you want to start a tournament of like the best fighters in every country and you want to represent America. It's you like call Hendo, call Hendo or Randy Couture. And, Guaranteed. And, yeah. And Hendo was like the ultimate American, you know what I mean? With his board shorts and his belly, and he's just able to KO you and flying punch you. You know when that, that knockout happened with Bisping? I thought it happened like six years ago. It happened in 2009. Yeah. 
on the most important UFC card. A lot of people say 205 is a pivotal. No, UFC 100 was the pivotal card that that KO happened on. Well, John Jones is on the undercard in that on that card. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. You had John Jones on that card. You had Hendo. You had GSP on the co-main. You had Brock and Frank Mir on the main. And uh, and Hendo always for me he always he was always the guy you know and he in any weight class middleweight I don't think he fought at heavyweight for for uh, a couple times but mostly light heavyweight and middleweight and the guy and Henderson was he still is he's a fucking legend and uh, you can't ignore him on this list absolutely he he is an absolute legend I mean look think about it like this all the way through. Uh, the late 90s into the early 2000s, he had basically fought in everybody on the scene in their prime, in pride, when guys were even fucking juicing and doing steroids and were fighting at their absolute best um, in pride. And then after that, went on a run in the UFC, then went to strike force, ended up knocking out Fedor Emelianenko. I mean, let's be honest here. After conquering the welterweight title and the middleweight title, beating virtually and fighting everybody in pride and then going on to finally beating the ultimate foe and nemesis in Fedor Emelianenko in strike force. And then to fucking go on again for another run in the UFC and even fight a guy like Daniel Cormier, who's a young hungry guy at the time to throw you around, not young, but young in the career to throw you around like a fucking chew toy. It just goes (laughs) to show you that Dan Henderson never had an ounce of quit in him and even if the last few performances we wish he maybe did retire like we do with all of our favorite fighters, when you look back and you think about it, man, this guy had a career uh, for a lifetime, and I, I really think that the UFC needs to go into the vault, or the vault rather, and really break down uh, what Dan Henderson has done in mixed martial arts from the 90s all the way up until the, the late 2000s. I'm surprised he wasn't on your list, Adam, when you sent in your list. Uh, well, I forgot about him. That's why yeah. I said at the beginning, I couldn't fucking believe it. I was like, I, I had him at, I, when I was making my list, I moved him down. I had him at number two. Yeah. You know, I had Jacare on the list and I was like, you know, I'll be honest with you. If I'm redoing this list, maybe I'm probably going to put Dan Henderson at number three instead of number four, but I won't argue because I believe that Vitor did beat Dan Henderson. Yeah. Yeah. They, they fought yeah, three sure. times. The first time they fought, which was in pride. Uh, I believe Hendo won, and then they had the Vitor. Then Vitor fought him twice, and then Vitor just knocked Hendo out. Exactly. Uh, next three matches. All right, baby. So, uh, what is our favorite Dan Henderson fight? I mean, how can you not say Bisping? Wow, that is true. I'm gonna have to go ahead and say Fedor Emelianenko. I just think that, that the too. task. I just think that if you're you're a guy that was watching mixed martial arts on YouTube for a very long time, then you you very damn well know Fedor Emelianenko. And just to see that final that task finally get done, uh, even though it was completed by Fabrizio Verdum, I think it was far more satisfying that it happened with Dan Henderson, considering the way that it happened. It happened in an explosive scramble that Fedor Emelianenko is notorious for always uh, coming out on top of. And uh, in that moment, Dan Henderson fucking hit him on the button while he had him, uh, while he had him in his uh, position. I don't know what it's called. He was on all fours, and and he was and he punched underneath the armpit. What would that be called, uh, Terry? It's kind of like a bulldog. Uh, I don't really know. I don't really think there's a word for it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm the I I, I fight boxing, so I wouldn't know in terms of the, the grappling. But because you I set just, the bulldog choke up from there, so I don't know. I probably I don't know. 
I'm not sure, but you know, I'm just thinking that the way that he had how he had finally ended Fedor, uh, you know, after all those years of him just having masterful performances in in Pride and them never fighting each other due to Henderson being lighter, that's who I'm going to go with. Just because yeah. of the storyline. I'm a storyline type of cat. I agree. I'm going to have to be with, like, with that in here, but I'm going to pick a different fight. I like storylines. That Shogun Hendo fight four days after, five days after my 20th birthday. What a war. Like that was I love such that a, one, Andy. Great choice. That was such a war. You want to talk about determination, perseverance, and grit? I'm changing my vote. Yeah, you want to go with that one too now? The reason why I'm going with that one is because every time somebody asks me what fight should I watch if they want to start watching MMA, I would say go watch Hendo and, and Shogun. Such, on such a good card too. Such an yeah. underrated 139, UFC 139. And it was just the perfect time where you had the merger of strike for the purchase of strike force. And basically this was a chance for all the UFC fans to see how good the strike force guys would start standing with the UFC guys before the merger was complete. I agree. Well, well there you have it. Um, so that was number four going on to number five on our list. Um, I think we might have a little bit of disagreements here. So far, you know, Terry had, Terry Andy had actually put out Yoel Romero and uh, Terry had put out Michael Bisping. And I, I'm going to go ahead at number five and actually I, I'm going to put the champ Izzy Adesanya. Yeah, so Izzy isn't a bad – he's not at a bad spot at number five. The reason why is because of who he's beaten and how he's beaten them. You know what I mean? Uh, take away the Yoel fight, even though he fought a perfect fight against Yoel. You know yeah, what I mean? He fought absolutely. a perfect fight against you all. Robert Whitaker KOs. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum, we saw that fight, fight of the year. Um, he beat Derek Brunson. When he was on his run, he beat uh, up-and-coming guys like Vittori. You know what I mean? Like, so he, he beat Anderson Silva. So he's, he's literally beat anybody and, and without a doubt has, be, has killed all of them. And I think that Izzy deserves his shine. Maybe five might be a little bit too high right now. I think he might be able to he, – he might need to fight – a couple legends, a couple guys that are up and coming. You know what I mean? I don't know who would be next for him other than Paulo Costa. Uh, if he beats Paulo Costa, you can't argue him at number five. And John Jones. John Jones, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. I really don't. Well, you know, the, my, my thing is the reason why I chose Izzy at number five is is because out of all of the, you know, the whole fuckery of all of the guys winning and losing against each other, inevitably Izzy is on top currently at this yeah. moment. And also if we're looking down that road, I think all of us all have brighter skies looking in the direction of Israel Adesanya. So that's why I think that that is uh, the reason he is at number five. Yes, I don't think he has necessarily always the, you know, the best resume of all the guys on the hit list. But you know what? At the same time, he did fight a legend in Anderson Silva. He did fight the champion, Robert Whitaker. But I'm going with Israel Adesanya. Um, my favorite fight with him has to be the one with Kelvin Gaslam, just simply for the fact that we were really able to see what Israel was made of. Um, he did come in with always so much flash and flair and it was able to, it was nice to see him have to dig deep. And then obviously he had that memorable moment in the fifth where he had quoted that anime shit and uh, said, I have no problem. I'm ready to die in here. And that was a, a great moment in the history of mixed martial arts in the UFC. So that's why for me, Israel's number five, I'm going with Kelvin as the favorite fight. But at the same time, I was thoroughly impressed with the, with the KO that he did on Whitaker. I just think, again, I'm going with the storyline. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let you go in uh, after Andy is that. I like that fight, but to me, the fight that Izzy put Izzy on the map for me was the big one was when he destroyed uh, Derek Brunson. And to me, that was the, he, it really put him on the map. Like, I was like, okay, this guy is legit. He's not just a kickboxer. He's not just some punk that's, you know, that's uh, cringeworthy and a headline and sound bites and all that shit. He's an actual sick fighter. He beat, like Andy said, the gatekeeper of the middleweight division. And I, that's, that was the fight to me. I'm like, this is the guy. Like, he's the next big thing. And we saw it there. I would, have to, I would have to agree. I definitely have to agree. You know, that Brunson fight was the coming out party in Madison Square Garden on a weak UFC 230, yeah, weak UFC 230 card. It was more of like a prospect card, I felt. And it, it, was, was, it was a late stop, not a late stoppage. It was like right at the end of the round, no, from what I remember? Yeah, it was like right then. Like, Izzy just picked Brunson apart. Derek fought very sloppily, as we've seen him do with the striking, going very trigger-happy a wrestler that's in love with the striking. And yeah. as he just showed that there's levels to this game and that was the coming out party. The Anderson fight was a nice pat on the stats to say, it's Hey, I beat the feather on your hat. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that, but yeah. And you know, I could easily agree with Adam too, but I think that Brunson fight mm-hmm. was the coming out party for us to say, okay, this guy is legit. I, I, I see what you guys are, are absolutely saying. I, uh, I could definitely see where you guys are coming from. I have no arguments. Um, number six on the list, you know, I'm going to have to go with Robert Whitaker here. That's who we agreed with because he did, you know, prevail victorious over a tough UL Romero two times, even though most folks could say that the fight went either way. And again, Robert Whitaker is in line to fight Darren Till to, uh, to, to go ahead. And I know we weren't basing this off of potential, but you know, I'm still going with Robert Whitaker based on what he's done. And you know, this is a guy who went from the ultimate fighter to becoming a UFC middleweight champion. And that's super fucking impressive to me. And do you want to go first? Yeah, so I do agree with Adam and I'm going to give my honest opinion here. I kind of have a love-hate thing with Robert Whitaker. The reason what I like about him, very humble guy. He's kind of like me, very casual, likes playing video games. And, you know, he's, he's very honest about, like, his struggles he's had. The, the hate thing I have with him, it's like, yeah, he comes off a bit standoffish with everybody. He's got that subtleness standoffish to him. And his reign as champion is kind of controversial because you, have, because you have to understand, he was vaulted to the undisputed champion while being the interim champion without a okay. fight. And that's where I have a problem with the interim title, which I hope we can do uh, – a two cent on the interim title in a future conversation if you guys are down. But as said, Whitaker was an interim champion and he didn't fight GSP. After GSP came back, GSP had colitis and had to leave and left leaving to retirement. What they, and then you have Whitaker being hit hard on luck with all like the injuries, the personal issue. So his reign as champion is kind of like, we never really saw what he was capable of as being champion, even though the run to get to the champ to interim champ, was very impressive after being KO'd by Wonder Boy in 2014. Had, a, had his renaissance to go up to middleweight and just went on a tear before becoming champion. But while he was becoming good at middleweight, he was num- ranked number seventh in a stacked middleweight division. When you have guys like Rockhold, Weidman at the top, Bisping, Musasi, I know I'm riding Musasi's coattails here, amongst other middleweights. So that's why Robert Whitaker is, I think he was an okay champion, but I think if injuries hadn't gotten to him, 
with like all this stuff that happened for the Australian cards, I really think he would have been deemed of the nickname Aussie GSP as Ariel Helwani coined him. So if I'm rating Robert Whitaker as a champion, I'm rating him low. I'm actually rating maybe Bisping higher as a champion, just of the sheer fact of, of, of just, you know, having the love. But Robert Whitaker is ranked higher in this position due to the fact that he has not that many blemishes simply on his record. And he's been in really big fights. The only thing that has held back Robert Whitaker is in his, is his inactivity. So, you know, that, that, that's my basis on it. And Robert Whitaker has rose to the occasion multiple times and after losses has shown resiliency. And that was why I earlier quoted on one of our previous episodes that, you know, Robert Whitaker will uh, TKO Darren Till. And maybe by then that may have ha not happened or did happen. Why don't you go ahead, Terry? So the thing about Bobby is that, yeah, he's probably the, not the most impressive champion, but the thing is, is that, yeah, he was catapulted to that championship level. And when he got there, he didn't, he didn't fall other than when he lost his belt to Izzy. And he was able to go through everybody. Now, the thing with Whitaker is that you always felt, like you said, Eddie, you always felt like there was something missing, like there was something that maybe he can offer more. You know what I mean? And we didn't really get a chance to see all of that. And that's the part that where I'm like, as a champion, like you said, Adam, as a champion, I wouldn't rank him too high. Maybe not. I, would, I don't know if I'd rank Bisping ahead of him, but as a champion, I wouldn't rate him high enough. Like, he wouldn't be a top three middleweight champion of all time to me. No. And, and, um, he wouldn't and be at six either. Well, I mean, if you look at the middleweight champions of all time, you have Vitor, Silva, Bisping, Rockhold, Weidman, um, am I, am I missing anybody? Rockhold was a good middleweight champion. He, he, I don't think he ever defended it. He won it, but he lost it. Oh, he won it and lost it. Yeah, he never defended his belt. His first defense was against Bisping. Yeah, that's me fanboying. Sorry. <laughs> um, so that's why I, I don't know if I'd hold him to the highest team, but he is a very good middleweight. And I don't know if I would have him at six, but you know, he's up there. He's up there. That's a good question. That's a good one. So, number seven. Actually, what is our favorite Robert Whitaker fight? Fuck me. That's a good uh, one. Ooh. Ooh. Robert Whitaker has been in some tough fucking fights here, man. Oh, man. That's a good question. He was supposed to lose to Jacare back in April of 2017. You were telling me, Adam, like he was not a favorite in that fight. No. No, he certainly was not. But, you know, Ah, that's a tough one in terms of in terms of Robert Whitaker. But you know what? If I'm actually going with what I think is the best Robert Whitaker fight, I'm gonna have to go with that TKO fucking head kick against Derek Brunson, man. The highlight reel, Derek Brunson. Yeah, the highlight <laughs> reel, Derek Brunson. He's like the gatekeeper for putting guys for giving guys their welcome out their welcome parties. Yeah, I'm <laughs> gonna have to go giving gonna... guys bonuses. You know, like realistically, re and the reason why I can't say the favorite fights of, of Robert Whitaker is I'm, I'll shamefully say it. I, I did not see the fights with Yoel Romero. I saw both of them. They were both good fights. I mean, he pieced them apart. I think I'm going to have to say Yoel number two because Yoel number one was like, okay, can he do it again? It was a split decision, you know? So it's like, can he do it again? And he did it again. So I'm going to say Yoel number two. I'm... I'm going to have to go with Adam, and I like the Brunson KO. I felt it was very entertaining. felt it was a great way for 
Robert to show what he can be capable of middleweight. Not, not only that, though, I actually just think that it was at a point where folks thought like Derek Brunson was a little bit high on himself. And that was just kind of the beginning of the end for him. And you see later in Derek Brunson's career how the rest of that, you know, kind of fared out. Um, so right now going to number seven, you know, we got either Yoel Romero, Luke Rockhold, Michael Bisping, or um, Chris Weidman. Or Chris Weidman. So I'm, I, 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 I don't know. Personally, for me, I don't know about you guys, but I'm gonna have to go with Chris Weidman just off same, the basis. Same here. Yeah. Just off the basis of you know what he did accomplish in the UFC. I mean, look, you know, he took the fight on short notice. Um, I believe it was against Damian Maya. He cut a tremendous amount of weight against him. And uh, he prevailed against him. And then he ended up brutally TKOing Mark Munoz. And from there, just catapulted into the UFC. Had a great image of just being the classic all-American blue-collar working guy that, uh, you know, the average folk could relate to. And, you know, he didn't get the credit that he deserved in the first fight against Anderson Silva due to Anderson Silva taunting, which I think is complete bullshit. Yeah. And then in the second fight, you know, due to the leg kick, a lot of folks like to discredit uh, Chris Weidman for not getting his, for not really getting to finish that story against Anderson Silva. But I think that that is complete bullshit. I agree. I just think actually, if, you know, we're looking even further into it now, now that we're in 2020, the real sad part is, is, you know, the violence that happened at UFC 194 with Luke Rockhold. I mean, you know, that was a great storyline. It was clearly the good, the good guy versus the bad boy. And, you know, Face fans for baby face fans for a wrestling term really wanted to get behind Chris Weidman and see him win. And, uh, you know, luckily McGregor redeemed that event because, you know, I was heartbroken watching him take that many punches. But at the same time, I knew that the damage wasn't being done enough uh, for them to stop it at that moment against Luke Rockhold. But circling back, man, I got to go with Chris, uh, Chris Weidman. He always held a really soft spot for me, uh, a guy that could really relate to the fans and if I'm really going with one of the most dominant performances, one of my fucking favorite fights at the time was when he came back and fought Kelvin Gaslam and beat the shit out of him really quickly. Yeah. That just showed that like he was like, no, I ain't going nowhere. What he did afterwards was a shame in the end. But at that very moment, that had to be one of my favorite fights. And then obviously, when he had beat Anderson Silva the first time, I was elated. I was super happy because I was never an Anderson Silva fan. So that's for me for Chris Weidman. I probably maybe even would have ranked him over Whitaker just because for fan purposes. But, you know, just due to too many reds on that, low, on, on, on that resume when you're on Wikipedia, it's not for me. I'd probably rank Weidman ahead of Whitaker too. But what were you saying about uh, what he did after the Gaslam fight? Well, what he did after the Gaslam fight. I mean, didn't he have that momentum? And then he, you know, he he didn't. Oh, okay. I thought he I thought he did something controversial. I no, no, no. He just, okay. you know, he simply didn't go on to win it. So, you well, know, then he what, got then he got need by Yoel. You know what I mean? Like, and that was, that was a heartbreaker. Before. That was a heartbreaker. That was before it, but that was a heartbreaker that fight because he was winning the first round to that fight. We see it a lot, and it happened with Weidman, too, and I like where he is on this top 10 list. I think that he was an excellent champion. I'm not going to take anything away from him. He KO'd Anderson Silva, and then Anderson Silva broke his leg on his knee. He checked it. It wasn't like a freak accident. He checked it. He checked it to break his leg. So what he did was intentional. 
there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know why people have, oh, they should fight again. They, they, well, they had. They should fight again. They should fight again. Fuck that shit. Anderson Silva was a champion for so long. He was hot-dogging against them, and they got KO'd. And Weidman was able to string, string a series of wins after that and show everybody that he was a real champion. Uh, another feather on his hat, I guess, is his dad. His dad made him one of the most iconic fighters ever. That's my boy. You know what I mean? And that's the, it was probably, it was, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen live on TV. That, that is true, and I'm calling an audible. We're bumping Chris Weidman up to number five, defending the belt twice against Lyoto Machida, and then TKOing yeah. Vitor Belfort after beating Anderson Silva twice. He's got to go up to number five. Adesanya bumps down to six. Robert Whitaker at seven. And you know what? I just feel like I lost 10 pounds for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel I'm like... At- I just feel I just feel like all the all the haters on Twitter are are are, are quiet now. <laughs> I'm gonna have to agree with you, Adam. There, I mean, look at Weidman. Weidman came in as like that iconic All American, very likable, super good on the microphone, very makes time for fans of all walks of life, and the definition of what happens when you put hard work in, night in, night out. I just feel there is one thing though that I want to take. I want to say though. And this is where it has to do with you like storylines. And Terry, you might like this too. I don't really think Weidman lost to, to only Rockhold, but I think Vitor hurt him in that UFC 187 fight in that co-main because Vitor did do some dent on Chris Weidman right before Weidman turned it up and then took out Vitor. So I really think that it had to do the mileage from that fight got to Chris, but I just think Rockhold came out with a better game plan. But I do wish... We got that Vitor Chris Weidman fight earlier because you guys should remember it wasn't supposed to be Weidman versus Machida at 175 in 2014. It was supposed to be Vitor. But every time they booked it, Vitor broke his hand. They rebook it. Weidman hurt himself. They rebook it. Vitor has a concussion. And then they finally book it. And people were like, just, they had a malaise to it. They're like, okay, it's like, just get this done already. And if it happened earlier when Vitor was on his momentum before the TRT controversy, I think it would have been a way better fight. You know, the, pro- the problem is with Chris Weidman, though, if you're looking at his last few fights and his resume, virtually every single guy that he's fought, you could see is either more athletic than him or is more skilled than him, than him in, you know, whether it's boxing, Muay Thai, kickboxing, or wrestling. It's like, you know, he's had some pretty fucking tough matchups and has probably relied a lot more on his heart and his grit uh, versus his skill, because I would say that his wrestling was one of his biggest assets going into the you know MMA scene or the UFC, and it's not like he utilized it heaps at all in in MMA. So I think that that was one of his biggest downfalls is that eventually that grit and heart wasn't enough to kind of propel him through to the next level. It's it's one of those things where it's like you. You, you, you hope that they kind of come back, you know, from those, from those devastating losses. And, and in his case, it was just so hard for him. And we, he, he catapulted, like you said, Adam, he catapulted so hard, so high that it, he kind of just kind of, it was like a fall from grace. And it was just unfortunate because he was kind of like this American hero kind of thing. For sure. And you know that Chris Weidman is a good guy, especially at the fact that he's teamed up with all of those Sarah Longo guys and guys like Aljamain Sterling and Ally Quinta have had a poor rapport with the UFC. Uh, I don't believe Chris Weidman does. Chris Weidman has been given countless opportunities, uh, especially even trying to move up to 205. But, you know, they gave him no fucking uh, chance in giving him Dominic Reyes right off the bat. Talk about um, a gatekeeper, Mashida. Mashida, man. 
Absolutely. Well, look, Machida at 185 is 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 certainly is certainly a, a legend. I I was I was a big fan though of Machida at 205. 205. He was one of the, he's a yeah. Very same here. Man. I I recognize Machida at 205. Not, exactly. Not 185. Exactly. Did John Jones beat him for the belt? No, John Jones beat Shogun, who uh, then it was John Jones' second title defense at UFC 140 uh, in December 2011 versus Machida. My all-time favorite John Jones fight. Because that was okay, when, okay. when Machida was dangerous. And so who did, when, who did Machida lose his belt to? Lost his belt to Shogun. To Shogun, exactly. In Montreal. At in UFC Montreal. One, UFC 113. I was it. there. I was there with Michael Cohen. We got, we got tickets. We were <laughs> up in the fucking rafters. We got relocated to the Reds. We were oh, sitting nice. right next to where the fighters were coming out from. Uh, Jeremy Stevens gave Cohen a hat and Pat Barry gave me a t-shirt. Uh, Kimbo fought that night, I believe. Yeah, that was a solid fucking event. Um, <laughs> now, going on to number eight. I mean, look, we got Michael Bisping. We got Luke Rockhold. And we also have the, uh, the only guy that escapes my name for some stupid reason is Yoel Romero. <laughs> I got to go with Michael Bisping, man. Michael Bisping won the belt. He's been around since the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, you know, Yoel Romero is obviously somebody that the UFC that UFC fans are always going to remember. But I got to go with Michael Bisping here, just based on the on the sheer career that this guy had. Michael Bisping was the ultimate is the ultimate chirp. You know, like the guy knew how to talk shit to people. That Luke Rockhold when he took the fight on eleven days notice. And he's chirping him, and he's like, "Believe, achieve." You sound like the world's worst <laughs> self-help book. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, it was. He's just he's unbelievable, man. And any chance he has, he'll talk shit to you on a broadcast, on fucking UFC now, on all that shit. He he's just he's just a brawler for Manchester, you know. And he he's so smooth with the way he talks. And the the fact is, I would rank him higher just the fact that he won a few fights with one eye. You know what I mean? And and we forget about that. The guy has literally one eye. And uh, he was a champion. He was a legit champion. He ended up beating Hendo. Uh, the, 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 the interview after the fighting, after he beat Henderson, was unbelievable, too. And Bisping, he's, he's a legend, man. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time, man. He, you, can't, you can't not have him on this list. He, yeah, he, he's a fucking legend, man. I remember seeing Bisping in Montreal. Uh, super fan-friendly guy always interacts with the fans, gets a lot of flack on the commentary side. I think it's due to the fact that he's trying a little bit hard with the quieter audience. Mm -hmm. um, because then again, the guy appeared to replace Dean Thomas on looking for a fight with Dana White. And this guy got so much fucking praise. I think that Michael Bisping is a shoe in for success uh, in the personality scene uh, in the realm of mixed martial arts. Bisping's got to be on this list. Uh, my favorite fight with him is undoubtedly the one against Anderson Silva. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I knew he was going to win that fight. Um, I believe that he deserved to win that fight. And, you know, the implications of him turning around also and then beating Luke Rockhold, just put the cherry on top for it. I think we could all agree that the fight against Kelvin Gaslam in China wasn't necessary. And that is one of the biggest regrets of his career that he's went on the record to say. But, um, you know, also Michael Bisping going on to fight a guy like George St. Pierre was a perfect fucking strategy. And if you just look at what Michael's, what Michael Bisping has done, uh, you know, winning and losing, 
you know, losing the big fights against all guys on steroids and then coming back and beating his nemesis, Luke Rockhold, after getting embarrassed in Australia by a guillotine. Fucking guy, man. Michael Bisping wins the title against Rockhold, mocks him and chirps him like Terry was saying, which was the best. And then, you know, sadly loses to the GOAT, baby. G.S. motherfucking P. <laughs> Got me? The man, yeah. baby. So, you know, he shouldn't have gone on to go and fight Kelvin Gaslam. You know, he should have taken a little bit of time off and probably fought somebody else. But uh, no shame in that. What do you got for me, Andy? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Michael Bisping is the definition of perseverance and timing when you really want to get accomplish a goal. And he was the face of mixed martial arts, Britain, British mixed martial arts, uh, that really put a good name on its map. Because Lee, because Lee Murray and uh, Ian Freeman couldn't do what he did. And Bisping was, uh, was that striker, charismatic, got a great personality. I even ended up on his podcast, sort of. I have that video on my Instagram. If you guys want to check it out, Drew Kyoku 7 I asked Bisping a question and, by video and see for yourself. But uh, I digress. not about me here. It's about talking about the, the British legend himself. Very good commentary. This is a man that's done very well, also monetary-wise, with his family, parlaying his money and in good investments and staying act and staying very active in the scene. I see him being more of like a, now that he's retired, as more of like a, a of a, a, a coach in development, finding those guys in Europe, having knowing the European circuit. But man, his knockout of Rockhold was my favorite, especially after the trash talk, having a beer and just shit talking with Rockhold after Rockhold still is angling to pick a fight after being KO'd. And I just think that Michael Bisping has to be on this list for all he's accomplished at middleweight with one eye. He's the original BMF before Masvidal and Diaz proclaimed the BMF belt. And congrats to Michael Bisping for making it to the Hall of Fame and being the definition of what hard work and perseverance is. Favorite Michael Bisping fight, Anderson Silva, because he really was counted out in that fight and proved to the world that I'm not leaving until I get that belt somehow, some way. Yeah, I think Anderson Silva is the, the fight for me too. And the reason why is because Anderson Silva lost that fight by hot-dogging and, and celebrating after he thought he won in that third round, at the end of the third round, fourth round, whatever it was. And, and Bisping's like, listen, I'm, I got, just got KO'd. I have a chance to come back. And he fucking ends up winning the fight. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's crazy to me that Anderson Silva able, was able to blow that and Bisping was in the right state of mind after being knocked out, basically, at the buzzer for him to come back and win that, win the next round and win the fight. Absolute, absolute fucking legend in Michael the Count Bisping. Uh, just an emphatic career and then a great tra transition in terms of podcasting and commentary for the UFC. Got to give it to the Count. Uh, certainly sitting comfortably at number eight. Left, we got Luke Rockhold and Yoel Romero. Look, we got to give it to Luke Rockhold. The guy did win the belt at the end of the day. I disagree uh, with this. You disagree with this? Um, I would not put Luke Rockhold in my top 10 middleweights. Boom it. Let's do it, baby. So, we're going to have to be with Terry on this one, too. Mix. Hit me with the <laughs> remix, baby. Let's go. Let's hear it. Because I don't I just, like – I on, on the record, I don't like Luke Rockhold. Yeah. I didn't think that he was ever a marketable guy. I didn't think that the fans could ever get behind him. I think that he actually hurt his image by going on that reality TV show and just being an absolute douchebag. And then, you know, just going off into the modeling scene and acting like he's too good for MMA now basically just sums up how the fans felt about him in the first place because he basically, you know, 
eventually showed us something that we always knew about him. So you go ahead with this, bro. I'll eat my words because I don't even fucking like Luke Rockhold. So <laughs> let's go with it. So the thing is with Luke Rockhold is, okay, he, was, he won the belt. Never defended it. It's, another, it's my same argument that I make for Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor had two belts with the fucking do. Never defended either of them. So I can't really put them in a pound for pound or a top 10 list when you never really defended your belt. And there's nine guys on this list that defended that belt. You know what I mean? And it's, well, other than Yoel, it's, 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 it's just tough for me to put Luke Rockhold ahead of guys like Rich Franklin, even the Machida. You know what I mean? Guys like that where I like Luke Rockhold. I do like him. He beat Weidman. He, then he lost to Michael Bisping on 11 days notice. And then he couldn't bounce back from that. I mean, what are his notable wins before that? I mean, Beach, uh, who else did he beat? I mean, Machida. Maybe Machida. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, he was a good fighter. And at his prime, at his peak, he was one of the best. And I was a huge fan of Luke Rockhold. Excellent ground game. Amazing kickboxer. You, can, you can't, you hate on the guy. But reality is, is he didn't do himself any favors. He's too cocky. Uh, went to go train on the other side of the country with Henry Hooft, where uh, DC's next opponent was training. It was like snake. He's a fucking snake, man. I don't trust that guy, you know? And it's like, that's the part that, and I think that that takes away from your fighting ability too, when you're not, uh, you're not a straightforward kind of guy. And he was able to be exposed in the octagon for not being as genuine and as straightforward as, as he was. I mean, he's not the guy that everybody thinks he was, I think. I'm gonna have to agree with Terry. I don't have. I don't really. I don't. I don't. You don't even have to get into it, man. Let's Pat McAfee that one and punt him right out of the building, baby. <laughs> yeah. So who are we going with number eight? Are we going with Yoel Romero? I'd put Yoel Romero in there. Are we going with Yoel Romero? Are we going with Rock Jacare Souza? Are we going with Timothy Kennedy? I'm gonna have to go. Okay, so I'm gonna have to go with Rockhold. I mean, I want to give my two cents. I didn't have. To, I, I'll make it quick though. I don't like Rockhold. I think he's a douchebag. He comes off very arrogant and very, very, like, he had his, like, nose up in the air, especially after he won the belt, whereas before when he was, like, up and coming, had a, kind of knew he was, he had that two-faced mentality in him, but he didn't show it until he won the belt. And then he basically flipped the fans off in MMA by going into modeling, thinking he was a hot shot. And then he went on to go say, oh, I think I could beat Princess John Jones. Then he got killed by Blachowicz. And it just goes to show that, uh, yeah, he is a turncoat. And, you know, my coach uh, in karate loves Rockhold. I don't know why. So I'm going to I'm gonna shit talk here a bit on it. But, like, dude, it's like <laughs> the guy's a turncoat, man. Like, you could say what you want about him. Yeah, he was dangerous. But every time he sends me a post of Rockhold, I just say, who the fuck is that guy? That's what's <laughs> up, man. All right. Well, you know what? We got a couple of good names here. I mean, listen, you do have Chael Sonnen. You do have Marulio Bustamante. You also do have George St. Pierre, the late Evan Tanner. I mean, a middleweight Robbie Lawler to me doesn't make the list. I believe a welterweight Robbie Lawler. Yeah, does. he's Absolutely. better at welterweight. Better yeah, at welterweight. Exactly. Middleweight, he really struggles. So you I, know, I would have put GSP in there. I think our last two, because we're at eight now, eight, nine, yeah. ten. Yeah. So would would Rockhold have been number eight? I I uh, would Rockhold. No, uh, Bisping was number eight. Number okay, nine. Sorry. Number nine two would left. be either Rockhold or Romero, or you know what? Maybe Chael Sonnen could swoop in there. Uh, who has Chael Sonnen beat? Sorry, bro. Uh, it's not about who he's beat. He put the UFC middleweight uh, division did. on the map against Anderson Silva. I am calling another fucking audible. Chael Sonnen <laughs> should make this list. Dude, I agree. Think about I agree. it. After he I'm on it. 
after Let's he had it. beaten Nate Marquardt in that close decision that he almost got choked out against in Nate Marquardt. He was brutally beat in that fight. Randy Couture fought that night also. I don't remember who he fought against, but he Randy fought Couture. fought against Mark Coleman. There you go. He fought against Mark Coleman in a very lackluster fight. Uh, Chael Sonnen then went on to get back-to-back fights against Anderson Silva, almost beat Anderson Silva in the first fight, uh, gets triangled in the last fucking like 15 seconds and then gets starched in the second match. And then, you know, Chael Sonnen went on to go and fight top-level competition at 185 and 205. Baby, it's got to be the American gangster, Chael P. Sonnen. So Chael Sonnen, to me, talked himself into all his fights, and which makes him legendary status automatically. I mean, Chael Sonnen, he's, and he's, he's probably the most, I guess, it was so obvious that he had a shtick, you know what I mean, that you couldn't really hate on the guy that much. And he almost beat Anderson Silva that fight, that first fight. I mean, he was winning that fight. He just, he gassed out. He got tapped out at the end by a shitty triangle. And it was like what are we watching here? Like, what did we just see? Did we just see a weakness in Anderson Silva? And Chael I thought it was rigged. That? I thought it was the yeah. first time I watched MMA and I thought that it was rigged. Um, just, just because of the fact of like, dude, if you were to bet Chael Sonnen by round, you would fucking make money each time. You know what I'm saying? So there were, yeah. there were ways to kind of think how that fight was a little bit unusual, you know? Um, but, you know, that's what made, I think, Chael Sonnen where he is today is the fact of the waters that he was able to drag Anderson Silva in. And that, I think, gave guys like Chris Weidman, uh, like Nick Diaz, like Michael Bisping, the confidence to go out and beat, and beat Anderson Silva. So I got to go and call that audible with Chael Sonnen. I just lost another 10 pounds, man. This is the best diet I've ever been on. <laughs> Biggest diet. I have to agree. I have to agree. Chelsea did a lot of good things for the sport of MMA. Everyone yeah. liked him, even though he wasn't brash like Colby is or controversial. Yeah, controversial, but he knew how to keep it within the realms of appropriate and professional. And you can never fault him for you can you can't say he's reckless for taking a, a fight on one day notice versus John Jones on that failed UFC 151 card. Well, there you have it, man. That, that's a fucking good call. So what is your favorite Chael Sonnen fight, guys? Ooh. That's a tough one, man. There's, there's a lot of them. I'm a big fan of Chael Sonnen. I drove to New Jersey after UFC 158, GSP versus Diaz. I drove to New Jersey to go and watch John Jones versus Chael Sonnen. You didn't tell me you watched that UFC fight. I watched that fight live. How big was John Jones in person when you saw him? Well, I was further up in the stands. I had, I had good seats, though. But, yeah, man, John Jones was a big body. And it was just crazy to see how, how minimal uh, Chael Sonnen had a fan base out in New Jersey uh, because, obviously, we were in the New York State area of, uh, of John Jones's region. But, you know, honestly, man, I was fucking happy that Chael went out and beat Quinton in, in, in Bellator. I was happy about that just because Quinton Rampage is just looking for a payday. I was happy that he shut up a guy in Michael Bisping. Bisping said that he was going to knock him out. We knew that he was going to wrestle fuck him. And, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is my favorite fight with Chael Sonnen has to be almost beating Anderson Silva in that first fight, man. Because if you watch that fight and then I click stop at the last 20 seconds, Chael Sonnen wins that fight and we go off That's and true. we have a good day. So that, that to me is, is my favorite fight. And, you know, and Weidman, thing, Weidman never happens. If exactly. Happens. And, and one thing that I will say is, you know, now that we're having a little bit of fun is 
My favorite segment with Chael Sonnen is when he's sitting there and they kind of give that uh, black background a la like a Nick Diaz interview. And he's like, my father, you know, they gave us $100 a week for allowance. Could you believe that? The struggle? You know, my father <laughs> gave me $100. And he's saying this with complete honesty. And I'm like, this is fucking pure gold. And like the craziest thing, man, is that like, I don't think that Chael Sonnen could actually like get away with how hard he went on Anderson Silva in today's day. I think that Chael Sonnen, you know, being a Trump supporter, being a conservative, being an open Republican. He might have been canceled. Dude, uh, no, he wouldn't get canceled being working with Dana White. I could guarantee you that. Oh, yeah, okay. um, but, you know, I think that he would have crossed a lot of boundaries had that been a more recent uh, 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 feud between the two guys. So that would have been interesting the way that it went out. And the last thing that I'll say that I love about Chael Sonnen that I also hate about him, though, is now he's a complete company guy and he completely roasted Masvidal on the whole argument about the pay thing and that when you sign a contract, you shut the hell up until you finish it off. Oh, he's right. Because my father told me, you know, that when, you <laughs> sign, when you sign that contract, you know. That con and hey, you know, I mean, it's you can do whatever you want. Ariel, Ariel, Ariel. <laughs> He's classic, son. My favorite fight for Sonnen was when he choked out Hua because it was like when he choked out Shogun, you're at a different level, you know, and it's like even though Shogun is not he's not a world champion jiu-jitsu guy, he is a black belt in jiu-jitsu and for and for Chael Sonnen to wrestle him and choke him out was impressive at that point. But the only thing with Chael Sonnen is he was never able to string like three wins in a row. He was always two and one in those three fans in the next three fights. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's just, it's, it's in Chael Sonnen fashion, you know, to have a crazy fight and then just flop after. So uh, put him on the map, put him on the list because of what he did for the division, not necessarily his accomplishments in the division. Absolutely. But I wouldn't even say for the division, I would also say, you know, for the sport in a sense, you know, Chael oh, Sonnen sure. was the original uh, Conor McGregor in a sense. The best Chael Sonnen moment for me was the, the weigh-ins for the John Jones fight where he's drinking the Coke. Like yeah, he's, man, telling, that's he's telling everybody that John Jones is a cokehead. That was to me, that was the best thing. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, because I thought back it was then because nobody knew about John Jones. Wow. That's amazing. He made sure the, that it said Coke on it, not Coca-Cola. He got the can that said Coke on it. And he made sure that it was facing the camera when he took a sip. And, and right in front of John Jones, he's taking a sip of the Coke and it says Coke on it. And there's a picture. There's a picture of it. You can find it online. It's a classic picture. Fucking chill. He's always he's one step ahead of the game before <laughs> everyone else realizes. That's what's Gucci, man. And the last thing about that is, is that Chael Sonnen almost became the UFC light heavyweight champion oh, via TKO toe injury due to John Jones's big toe being flipped uh, upside down. I remember that. If they had, they almost stopped the fight because of that. They, they, they didn't even notice it. Good thing John Jones is a fucking tough motherfucker because his toe was pointing the other way. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a crazy event, man, because Pat Healy had a fucking war against Jim Miller. Oh, and, wow, that's true. And not only that, I believe he got fight of the night and finish of the night or something like that or sub of the night. And the guy ended up getting everything taken away from him due to a fucking he, he popped for marijuana. He got popped. He got, got popped, popped for uh, uh, Pat Healy against Jim Miller when he had yeah, won. He had that all star nice. performance. And he friggin' he dropped the ball there bigly, man. Bigly, he dropped the ball there. And that was, you know, that was a sad thing because a guy like Pat Healy. Bigly, yeah, that's a Trump word. Well, 
all right, well, this guy's blowing me up now. Like, <laughs> uh, UFC, UFC 159 actually had Michael Bisping versus Alan Belcher, which was a super fucking underrated fight. I mean, remember Alan Belcher? He even fought at UFC 100 against Sexy Yama. Sexy Yama, yeah. Alan Belcher, uh, worst tattoo of all time, or what's going on? What are we looking at? Uh, Johnny Cash, baby. You better, you know, you better that walk ta- that line. Rock, exactly. Rock. That, ta- that tattoo is the worst tattoo I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, Belcher has, a, Belcher has an, a Johnny Cash tattoo? On his arm. It's awful. And I don't remember who he was fighting, but who, the guy was roasting his tattoo. Oh, was it Darren Till? Uh, I'm uh, sure. Bel- I'm, uh, Darren Till did also had a bad tattoo, no? Yeah, it's a picture. It's a tattoo of, like, his ex-girlfriend or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just awful. It's awful. Yeah, something Poor- like that. But, yeah, that, 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 was a good, that was a good event, though. You know, Michael Bisping versus Alan Bencher, Belcher, Roy Nelson versus Czech Congo, Phil Davis versus Vinny Magalesh, Pat Healy versus Jim Miller opened the card, and then Healy uh, popped for, for, Roy, uh, for fucking marijuana. That was a shame, but it was what it was. And then, you know, number 10 on my list, I got to go with Yoel Romero. I think we all agree on that. Um, you know, the thing is with Yoel Romero is the guy is a complete genetic freak, uh, performed in the 2000 Sydney Olympics, won the bronze medal in wrestling, um, you know, has, you know, broke my heart beating Chris Weidman by the, by flying knee, but had a lot of heartbreaks. He's on a three fight losing streak, but you know, Yoel Romero is a guy that whether he's on a 10 fight losing streak or a 10 fight winning streak. This guy will keep you up at night due to his just freak athletic capability. Um, you know, he is a little bit of a, a prankster in the octagon. He does like to fuck around. Uh, yeah. We've seen it. He has had some boring fights due to the fact that he does like to play the counter striker and likes to play games with his fighter. He, ha- he is controversial as well. He had the gay Jesus uh, thing, which I think he did say, <laughs> don't forget. I think he did say, don't forget Jesus. I do. I, do uh, yeah, I do take his side on that. Um, don't another, forget Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And you know, another thing too is, is that Romero has some great sound bites with Michael Bisping. Also, I think I that he's you. always somebody that the people in uh, MMA are going to talk about. And, uh, you know, just the sheer athleticism, like I said, and just the fact that you have no idea what this guy is, what this guy is going to do at any moment, you know, he could bust out a flying knee or take you down at any moment. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to go with in, in Yoel Romero at number 10. Same. I like it too. I think Yoel Romero is, uh, that Olympic, his, that Olympic, uh, that Olympic accolade is really important on his legacy. Not only that, when he came into the UFC, he just started start, started burning guys up with that aggressive style. Not only wrestling, but showing he has great boxing too. Since his dad was a boxer for the Cuban Olympic team too, which he spoke about on his uh, Joe Rogan appearance back in March of 2018. Very underrated, fan favorite. Even with the language barrier, you can, uh, you can really like attach yourself to him especially with that big collection of dogs he has when he was on ariel helwani's last show like just like him in the taxi enjoying life you know it's, it's easy to like this guy yoel is a very likable kind of guy he's very honest he's a straightforward kind of guy you know for, for gay jesus he loves gay jesus but it's like <laughs> it's it just i'm so disappointed with how he turns up in the big moment you know what I mean? Like we saw him KO. He need Weidman's face off. We saw him uh, oh, crazy. Starch Luke Rockhold. Starch Luke Rockhold and kiss him after. We saw we saw him beat Paulo Costa in a great war. 
And then he comes out against Adesanya and Whitaker and just be flat, completely flat. And it wasn't, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know what's going on with the guy. And then he complains after. The part to me that's the worst is, okay, you're going to come out flat, but don't complain after. Yeah, that's the one thing I have a problem with. And uh, Yoel did win that Costa fight. Like, I was at a bar with, like, my coach and his brother and friends. Everyone at the bar was like, what? When yeah. Costa got the decision. But, yeah, Yoel doesn't show up in the biggest moments, and he finds an excuse after, which is why it's easy to love him, but it's also easy to hate him. But the world came together on February 10th, 2018, when he – Ended Luke Rockhold's career, arguably. Yeah, I think that's going to be my pick of the fight, my, my favorite fight for Yoel. Yoel knocking out Luke Rockhold for two reasons. One, <clears throat> Luke Rockhold getting shut up is probably one of the best things ever. And, <laughs> two, and two, just the fact that he did it and kissed him is the best thing ever. I'm going to have to paraphrase Terry on that. Yeah, I, I fucking despise Luke Rockhold. I don't like his personality. And just to see him get a taste of his own medicine finally was – it's like something you can watch over and over again and still laugh at it like it's the greatest thing in comedy ever. I think I'm going to tag this podcast as we love Luke Rockwell. <laughs> it's like we love Luke um, Rockwell getting you know, KO'd. You know, the thing is with Yoel Romero is what we seem to forget is, is that he is a human and, you know, there is a reason why he doesn't rise to the occasion on the big fights. And that is the fact that he is a human, even though we do look at him as a super athlete. Um, another thing also though, with Yoel Romero is that time and time again, you know, although he has lost in those big fights, this guy will always have a place in the UFC. This oh, for will, sure. You know, and that, that, that is really the best part about it. I would like to see him utilize his wrestling a lot more. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think that the problem with him losing against Costa is due to the fact that uh, UFC judges aren't really in favor of a fighter moving backwards very often. For me to wrap this up in terms of my favorite fight with um, Yoel Romero, it's got to be against Machida. The reason why is, is that I was watching that fight in Thailand with my wife and we were watching the, uh, the UFC primetime to it and she was just so intrigued by Yoel Romero sitting in his house in Miami speaking Spanish with his wife and just really enjoyed his character that she was actually interested in going to watch the fight the next day. And when we went and watched that fight and Yoel Romero just had an emphatic KO, she was kind of like, wow, that was pretty fucking brutal. And the, you know, the prime time was super entertaining. Like he's pretty chill. So, you know, that's somebody that she's always going to remember. And in that same event, Luke Rockhold, or maybe it was the event with Luke Rockhold in a separate one. Uh, Luke Rockhold was like getting his hair cut in. And I remember my wife had remembered that one also. So she had always remembered Yoel Romero and Luke Rockhold. And uh, so that's the one that I'm picking as a fight just for sentimental value. Sure. I mean, to me, it's like anytime. This guy's bupsing my moment, man. Unreal. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that what you call it? Moment? I said bupsing. Bupsing? What does that mean, bupsing? A bupsing? It's like a merc. Like, uh, you bupsed me. I bupsed you. Okay. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take away my bups. That's okay. <laughs> so who's on the honorable mention list? The honorable mention list is, uh, you know, I, I, I actually really like Andy's pick and Tim Kennedy. Andy, mm -hmm. why don't you lead the role on that? Yeah, Tim Kennedy is a guy that uh, 
I had to pick. It was a very easy choice to make. I wanted him to be 10, but the reason why he's on a roll, he didn't win a title. But he did fight for the title in Force about two times. And when he fought Luke Rockhold, I know we're fucked, man. Like, we really, we really shit talk Luke Rockhold. But when Luke Rockhold won the Force middleweight title, there is one thing I'll agree with Rockhold on. He said Tim Kennedy was the hardest fight I've ever had because Tim Kennedy just keeps coming at you. He's got that Nick Diaz-like pace, and he could take hits. And he hits hard too. Not only that, off the out of the cage, amazing representative for mixed martial arts in the military, being a, a former Green Beret, a former Green Beret, and uh, giving to charitable causes. And now, since he's retired, has done really well with uh, with like his History Channel show, what he does, finding like World War II or Nazis or whatever it is, and also just being like an educator on why it's important to understand history and why we need to stay in shape and how we can do it. Like with the military exercise, exercises he's done. So Tim Kennedy for me is always the guy that he, he beat you well. You know what I mean? Stool gate. Stool gate. Exactly. He beat you up. Like, I think it's obvious. We can't hear you, Adam. Nope. Yoel was so iced out that night. It was unreal. Crazy, huh? Crazy. So he beat you all. I don't care what anybody says. Stoolgate for sure. And that would have put him at a different level had he had it, had it gone his way. I, I think we would have got a Tim Kennedy versus Chris Weidman scenario. And that would have been a nice fight to see. It would have been like that good American grit story. The dumbest argument I've ever heard when it comes to that Stoolgate was that Tim Kennedy had a minute, an extra minute to recover also. But it's not – Tim Kennedy was fine. It's Yoel was gassed. You give Yoel an additional minute to recover, that's the problem. It's not – Tim Kennedy was fine. He wasn't gassed at all. And Tim Kennedy was always he, – like you said, he fought for the Strikeforce Championship. He's always the guy that's like, okay, he's kind of like 75% in. He's not 100% in because he has this military stuff and he was doing a bunch of other stuff. And you're always looking at Tim Kennedy as, okay, he's a fighter, but he ha- he's not only known as a fighter. You know what I mean? Uh, the same way I looked at Shane Carwin. Shane Carwin is a part-time fighter. You know what I mean? And I felt what about Stipe Miocic? Stipe too, part-time fighter. And I say the same. I always said the same thing about Tim Kennedy. He was a part-time fighter, and that's that's where that's why I wouldn't put him on my top ten. But honorable mention out of the respect factor because he's a great fighter. He has a great career, and he's a legend of the sport. And he's really done well. And he's really done well with his money too. Like if you look up Muscle Fitness, he had an article, and he really speaks to the importance of how fighters should manage their money. Yeah, for sure. Definitely one of the more intelligent guys. And I look at a a Timothy Kennedy as a as a hybrid of like a Chael Sonnen and a Dan Henderson. Yeah, you know that Mm. that that's the way that I look at him. More of a Chael Sonnen, not in the sense of his brashness, but just I guess the stardom. And, you know, more of the Dan Henderson just due to that, you know, American hero-esque. And Tim Kennedy didn't clearly get the push that those two guys did. But, you know, he didn't necessarily uh, win the big fights or, you know, gun for that push that that Dan Henderson or Chael Sonnen did. So I'm pretty happy with uh, Tim Kennedy being on that honorable mention list. Is there anybody else that you guys agree with being on that list? I think um, Souza, Jacare. Yeah, I have to go with Jack Gray. He won the Strike Force title. Um, and you know, that's a nice accomplishment in itself. Yeah, and I think Jack Gray, he he had he had a nice momentum on the way up and I don't think he ever got a title shot, Andy. You're the whiz on this one. No, never. He was always about to, but then whatever happens, like during like 
Like he could have fought for the titles versus uh, Bisping or Romero at the time, but then what if he, he lost? A, yeah, I believe he lost against Romero at UFC 194. That's very exactly. close. Yeah, that was yeah, that was, that, that was a razor thin decision, and that kind of set Jacare down that path. Not not in a sense of a losing streak, but just kind of setting a precedence that you know his uh, his chances of winning a title wouldn't really uh, happen. But the thing is, for me, that I kind of relate to is that you know Gegard Mousasi and guys like Dan Henderson you know and even Tim Kennedy were able to find a lot of success in strike force in pride in Japan on those international scenes and you know he just simply wasn't Jacare you know he said you know Jacare actually was in it was a force sorry in strike force but not only were those guys a force in the international scene they were also a force in the UFC was what I was trying to say and Jacare Clearly, just by the end of it, wasn't able to pan out to what we wanted to see. We thought maybe he would get a chance, kind of like a Glover Teixeira. And, you know, that just simply didn't happen, which kind of attests to how strong this UFC middleweight division is. I fucking fumbled on that one, baby, but I picked it up. <laughs> yeah, middleweight's kind of, as I said, as I said in the beginning, it's been kind of like, at first, a redheaded stepchild. But after, the, after when Anderson came in, it kind of really established its dominance as the division to watch with welterweight. The thing about middleweight is that it's 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 in the middle of two amazing weight classes. You know what I mean? So you're getting kind of the the big guys of the welterweight and the smaller guys of the light heavyweight. You know, so you're right smack in that middle. And I think there's a big gap between them and a light heavyweight. Twenty pounds is a huge gap. So it's all you're always going to get the awkward fighter. And I think that's what we found in all these names that we mentioned. I mean, a lot of the guys we mentioned. He could do well in light heavyweight and a lot. And Robert Whitaker was a welterweight before, you know? So it's like a lot of these guys, they fought at different weight classes multiple times. So it's like one of those divisions where it might be at a, it may be the redheaded stepchild or whatever it is. But a lot of these guys are storied veterans. They fought at all different weight classes. Every single person we mentioned fought at a different weight class, every single one. And I think that's where, that's why the middleweight division is so, is so impressive to me. Absolutely. We can't forget Rich Franklin either. No, we can't forget Rich Franklin. Before we get to Rich, uh, before we wrap up the show, um, Jacques Array, you know, certainly I'm happy that he is on the list. I think I lost another three pounds for sure. This is crazy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Jacques Array certainly deserves to be on this list simply for the fact that if you look at that longevity, you know, before even getting into the UFC, if you're looking at all of the runs that he went on, it's it's absolutely crazy. I mean, Andy, I'm just wondering, before you go to sleep tonight, are you going to be able to sleep knowing that we put a guy on the list that beat your boy, Gegard Mousasi? Yeah, that's fine with me. I mean, you got to – Gegard won one and lost one. It's very normal. It happens. That was very anticlimactic. All right, so <laughs> let's go on to Rich Franklin. You know, look – Rich, Rich set a great precedence at the time for, for UFC fans just due to the fact of being that, again, another Chris Weidman-esque guy, the original, you know, homegrown math teacher. Uh, pink great, shorts. Great, you know, pink and, pink and black shorts. Also had the black and orange shorts to represent Cincinnati, Ohio. Black pink and, and brown. No, were they brown? They were pink and brown, but then he also had the black and orange. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. So, you know, when he was sponsored by American Fighter, he had the black and brown, uh, the pink and brown ones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Rich Franklin represented that all-American guy and uh, couldn't fare against an Anderson Silva, but, you know, had a really great career all in all. 
you know, I'm, I'm cutting Rich Franklin short by, by not going on and naming all of his accolades. But, you know, one of the things that stands out for me with Rich Franklin is the fact that after finishing his UFC career, not going back to being a math teacher, moving on with one championship and building another career there. And, you know, just people don't realize that he's working for a company that has TV, that has uh, their fucking product and more TVs th- than the UFC does. Exactly. Yeah. And Rich so, Franklin helped grow that, right? Yeah, exactly. And he also has helped building the contender series. It's called Rich Franklin's One Warrior Series, just like yeah. Dana White has his own contender series. So in a way, Rich Franklin is almost in a sense, like he's not the promoter, but, you know, in a way, he's got a little bit of that Dana White swag over there. So I got to give it to Rich Franklin just simply on the fact that also, like all of the guys we've previously mentioned who have gone on to do commentary roles or media roles, dude, Rich Franklin is fucking score, is soaring sky high over all of these motherfuckers. Not only that, very soft-spoken, very articulate. You'll never hear a bad thing that's said about Rich Franklin. And he's one of the few guys in the UFC that had losing streaks after losing his belt, but they kept him around because they saw the value in him as a company man and as an ambassador for the sport. So that's why I think Rich Franklin really got lucky after he left his teaching career to become a pro fighter. And now that's transitioned, as you said, he is taking a bit of that Dana White role and he's doing it in a very stealthy, stealthy way to build one up, to help Chatri really make it Asia's premier MMA promotion. And who knows, you know, they're supposed to come to the USA and fall supposedly. That's going to be interesting because we had that with pride. If you remember back in 2006 and pride didn't last, but I have a feeling one might do something here. If they come one, to the one US, is one is going to last mark my words. I agree. Mark, mark my words. And, uh, you know what? I actually heard a little something, something that, uh, that one is, is is testing the waters moving over moving over to our side. So oh, shit. that is uh, no, not necessarily. We'll talk about it after the show. But one of the things is is that uh, dude, if you're looking at Rich Franklin's resume, I mean fuck man. Kung Lee, Vanderlei Silva, Forrest Griffin, Chuck Liddell, Vitor Belfort, Vanderlei Silva, Dan Henderson, Matt Hamill, Travis Luter, Anderson Silva, Okami, McDonald. Anderson Silva, David Loiseau, dude, like these guys are all fucking animals. He has fought the best in the best at the time. So uh, we got to give it to Rich Franklin. And another thing too is, is that, you know, Rich Franklin has not only gone on to promote MMA um, in, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio, and in America, dude, like we said, with one championship, he's promoting MMA worldwide. He's done more for the sport virtually than almost most people uh, in MMA. I'll let you take this, Andy. Yeah, I, th- I have to agree with that. I think Rich Franklin has really uh, built his legacy well. He's definitely strategizing what one's next moves are. And he's playing chess right now. It's a game of chess of, like, expansion. And that's what I think is going to really make one the number two. I think we're going to see Bellator take a shot and move down to number three, actually, I agree. in MMA promotions. I agree. And the I last, like, I feel like, sorry, sorry, Adam. I feel like no, Bellator. I feel like Bellator with this, uh, with this whole pandemic. I feel like they they kind of uh, missed the boat. I think they could have piggybacked off of UFC success and done something. Uh, we saw that Florida allowed fights to happen. They could have done fights in Florida. Maybe they wouldn't be able to afford their own fight island. 
but you know, they could have done something. And I feel like it's, it did a disservice to their fighters, you know, like a guy like Lovato who just comes off a win with Musasi, you know, he could have fought and, and it's like, even Bader, he has two belts. He's holding up two divisions. Douglas Lima, you know, just winning the tournament. And it's like, there's all these guys with such momentum and they have a lot of young guys like Pico and, you know, they, these guys could have had fights. You could have made one crazy stack card to maybe get yourself some revenue, get these guys some money. It's been five months now. These guys haven't made any money from fighting. So I think the Bellator missed the boat on this one. Big and time. I do want to also add something here. That is true because I spoke with James Lynch on a previous podcast of mine. If you know James Lynch from the Score MMA, you know yeah. he has his own channel. Yeah, the James said to me that Scott has a way – he looks like he's a fighter's guy. Mm-hmm. But there are people in his in the promotions that don't are not pleased with him because he'll promise them this, but then he does the opposite. So I really think like we might Rory McDonald. Yep, and we might That's see a mutiny. Yeah, and we might see a mutiny of Bellator guys, you know, jump the ship and go to uh, one because maybe Rich is going to offer them something more lucrative. Or maybe back to the UFC. Maybe Dana White looks at a guy like Musashi and is like, "Listen, I want you back. This is what we're offering you. You get a title shot immediately." You know, something like that. I mean, even a guy like Bader, too. Maybe he'll come in and get a heavyweight shot immediately. Um, if I'm sure Bellator would pay these guys to stay because they're their big names. But Lovato, he's a couple fights away from coming to the UFC for sure. Well, and, we don't know if he's coming, though, because of his brain condition. Oh, right. that's yeah, true. He, but he probably, didn't, he, didn't he say that it's kind of like under control and I think they figured something out or? I'm not sure yet, man, but Joe Munier out of Quebec had a brain condition and the UFC said that they wouldn't fuck with that. So I'm not, and he's now, he had a surgery and is now fighting again. So, but it won't be allowed back in the UFC. So there are uh, stricter precautions, definitely. But um, to circle back guys, you know, look, Bellator, I don't think dropped the ball because I don't think during the COVID time, Viacom was making enough money where they could afford to go head-to-head with the UFC. I think they're coming in at an okay time. Having the UFC only had a handful of events. They've only had like four or five, if you think about it. So no, I think that like they... Eight. Okay, they've had eight, but regardless, we expected it. It's from the number yeah. one guys, right? So Bellator, I think, is coming in, you know, at the tail end of this COVID era, which I think is a good time for it. Um, I do agree with Andy that, you know, one championship will inevitably take over for the second house. But, you know, PFL also dropped the ball in paying their fighters $1,000 a month over the next 12 months. And apparently they put a bunch of money into a, a lot a, like just a bunch of marketing bullshit in the sense that when a fighter throws a kick, they're going to be able to monitor the kick speed and they're going to be able to show all of these different metric metrics of the miles per hour of what the fighters putting out. So I think that that's a total fucking mistake, but I agree with what, uh, what Andy said about, you know, Scott Coker dropping the ball uh, and a guy like Rory McDonald and other fighters being upset due to their inactivity, inactivity and empty promises. And then you see other guys like James Gallagher who get to fight lower end guys on main cards in their own hometown. I mean, dude, Rory McDonald could sell out Montreal and Toronto every single fucking month. When's the last time we had a a major MMA promotion in Montreal? UFC 186, Mighty Mouse versus... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, but the problem is, is that 
Quebec has there's a lot of tax issues, and the UFC doesn't want there's to. Pay not, there's not. Yes, for sure, absolutely, for sure. And so, Evenco, Evenco takes a huge cut, and they and they monopolize every event here in Montreal. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. So you know that is kind of the the current situation. I do think that Bellator is kind of coming in at the same at the perfect time. Uh, one championship is back on the road, July 31st. Look out for my boy Mark Abelardo fighting first night on the card, uh, representing Fairtex. Uh, training center fighting Fabrizio Andrade from Tiger Muay Thai, who's been mentioned on the unanimous decision that gym probably over half a dozen times now. Um, we're, we're, uh, that's uh, that's that'll be in, Abu, Abu that'll Dhabi, be right? in, no that'll be in Bangkok. They're going to have six events there in Bangkok with about six fights on it. Yachtsen Clyde's going to be on it as well. Uh, there's a bunch of fighters on it that are far worth looking at. I could guarantee you that the that this event alone. In, prof- in a professional MMA promotion, will have the most fights on a card. Well, these fighters will have done the most fights ever done ever. Like, dude, between all of their Muay Thai fights, it's got to be over 2,000 fights between every single guy on the card and then a few of their <laughs> MMA fights. So it's actually fucking crazy, and it's going to be a very good card. Tune into that for free on the One Championship app uh, July 31st. I was going to yeah, watch Sorry, out go. for Tan. Yeah, watch out for Tan Lee too. Like he's a former guest of that I've had on my show. Featherweight contender, ranked number three in one FC. Uh, taekwondo kickboxer. He's gonna be fighting Martin Nguyen in Vietnam, hopefully, mm-hmm. and that'd be a really nice victory. Because Tan is, if you like tradi- traditional martial arts and kickboxing, beautiful spinning kicks and with Muay Thai and Taekwondo mix. And um, there's a uh, UAE is also putting out a few fights too. And uh, we're, we're going to have on uh, Corinne Laframboise. She's going to be fighting there too. She fights out of BTT Canada here in Montreal. And we're going to have her on next week. Nice. Yeah, I've had her on my show too, by the way, Terry. Amazing guest. Super She's positive. She's such a nice girl. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really hope she wins it. I really want her to make the UFC like, and win that Bantam, win that featherweight title. No, flyweight. She's a flyweight. flyweight yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to see uh, Corinne to, to join the UFC's 125 division. She's got tremendous heart. She's got good skills on the ground. Uh, you know, solid ground and pound to then pass to, to, to pass to a better position to then inevitably maybe get a submission. Um, you know, I'm happy that she's fighting overseas because, you know, TKO folded, which I think is absolute bullshit. But on a, on a better note, I'm happy that Jesse Ronson is fighting uh, in the next UFC against Nicholas Dalby, but that'll be for a better time, guys. So, you know, I just want to thank you both for being on the show today for this bonus episode. Um, you know, this episode is going to be released probably next week, but, uh, you know, me and Terry also have another bonus episode that I have to release. So we got a lot of fucking content in the, in the bank. I'm Adam Kaplan from the unanimous decision. You could find me at Twitter and on Instagram at Adam Kaplan 13. And uh, you could also find me on Instagram at the unanimous decision MTL Um, on anchor is where the podcast is uh, sourced from. And, you know, you could find us on Apple podcasts and Spotify. Just look for that purple and gold Lakers theme, the unanimous decision. And that's where you could find the voice in your ears. Andy, where could they find you, buddy? Yeah. So I'm on, as I said, uh, my podcast is also sourced from anchor. It's on Apple podcasts and Spotify beyond the fight. Instagram, Drew Kyoku7, and uh, spot and my podcast page is Beyond the Fight Pod on Insta. So if you want to listen to old episodes, give it a listen. And guys, please follow Unanimous Decision and uh, Hot Sauce because these guys are like are my are they these guys know their shit and come and combat sports and 
They're really rising, man. And give it a shot. You got to support your local podcasts. Absolutely. And, and, and the Beyond the Fight podcast is no joke. These, uh, Andy has, been, has had views from, from Canada all the way out in Abu Dhabi and in Dubai. And, uh, you know, I'm super proud to have him on the show. And I'm super proud to have another homie of mine on the show, Terry Tama. Where can they find you? Uh, Terry Tam on Twitter. Everywhere else is Hot Sauce Sports. Like I, sh- I just showed the T-shirt. We just dropped. Uh, we dropped some merchandise. So if you guys want some, I'll send some over to you guys. Oh, me, thanks. Send me your address. We have this. We have real. this, and we have. Um, you have a yellow hoodie. I have a yellow. Yeah, it's a gold. I have white, but no. On the back is just make make hot sauce great again and uh, hot sauce over everything. And uh, those are the two slogans. Those are our two slogans. So we have that. We just dropped that too. Uh, big things coming from hot sauce as usual every week. You know, we have a, we have two ep- we have two shows weekly sauce and we have our uh, flagship show which is hot sauce sports and we just talk shit about every sport possible and that's all we do, talk shit. That's what's up. And before I wrap up, uh, your latest post uh, talking about some of the best strikers. In football, in soccer, rather. You saw that one, yeah. Ibrahimovic, man, come on, he's got to nah, make that come on. honorable he's mention. He's the he's the great one. He's the great one he's for sure. He's got to make that honorable mention. Honorable mention, but it's we make those. We, we go. We it takes like an hour to make some of those lists. You know what I mean? Bro, it's, in FIFA 2006, I scored <laughs> I scored 76 goals with him with Inter Milan. Samuel <laughs> Eto was, you know, from Cameroon, was a monster with Barcelona. So uh, that was definitely a legendary year. I appreciated that, co- that, that content. And, you know, definitely because everything is picking up back in sports, apparently the NFL is going to be approved also. You know, you guys better watch out for the, for the content that Hot Sauce Sports is coming out with, especially Terry. Terry's been on fire lately in the podcast game. He's got a great fucking podcast with – it's Charles Ramuliotis, right, from Chicago? Well, I did the episode with him. Yeah, he's awesome, that guy. Dude, that podcast was unreal. Charlie, Charlie is, uh, is an NBC insider for the Chicago Blackhawks, an analyst, I believe. Uh, you know, he, that was just, the oh, f- that that's my team to watch right that now. That was a, but, that was yeah. a super heartfelt interview. I mean, you guys look like, uh, you, you guys look like you guys have done that podcast a thousand times over. And, you know, that just goes to show the type of uh, content that you guys are putting out. It's been a pleasure working with you both. I Thank think you, it's buddy. about four in the morning now, all of our girlfriends are upset <laughs> and, uh, we're going to get away with it. Oh God, by the way, I want to suggest one thing. You guys want to do a breakdown next time. I like this collab of weight classes. Yeah. How about we do uh, next week if we if our schedules work? I want to do either lightweight in MMA, welterweight, or light heavyweight. What's uh? I would I like think... to go to the welterweights. Let's welterweights, do welterweights, baby. And we right. we have to avoid talking about GSP at all costs. Yeah, let's try to limit that. We have to kind of <laughs> limit that. All right, let's limit that, and then afterwards, let's explicitly do a lot of it. Okay. Yeah, just one <laughs> hour. On <GSP>. <laughs> Okay, because I'm, okay. uh, I'm, I'm definitely high on that GSP horse. That's all for us today, guys. Thanks for tuning in. If you listen throughout the whole podcast, you're a fucking beauty. If you didn't, you missed out. Bow. <laughs>